The Batteries Included podcast is brought to you with United Chargers. United Chargers presents the Grizzly range of EV chargers. There's the original Grizzly Classic, a powerful, heavy-duty, portable EV charging station built to withstand the toughest conditions. The Grizzly Duo, a dual-port unit designed to charge two vehicles at the same time. The Grizzly Mini, a small, portable charging station built with an indoor-outdoor-rated cast aluminium enclosure. And the Grizzly Smart, a revolutionary smart EV charger. All Grizzly chargers come with a convenient 24-foot cable and the ability to adjust the current from 16 amps all the way up to 40 amps. That's 9.6 kilowatts, plus they're IP67 rated. Built in Canada with the highest quality materials, order yours now at unitedchargers.com. That's unitedchargers.com. Hello, and welcome to the Batteries Included podcast. It's January the 19th, 2024, and this is episode number 20. Thank you very much for joining us. On today's show, we'll be talking about the great Chicago EV freeze fiasco of 24, the debut of the Ram ProMaster EV, and the launch of the Ford F-150 Lightning switchgear demonstrator, and of course, much, much more. I'm Dominic Ioni. Joining us today is the blissome Mr. Tom Malogny, Senior Editor at Inside EVs and host of the YouTube channel State of Charge. We also have the maximal Mr. Martin Lee from the EV News Daily Podcast, which is available on all the best podcast platforms. And we please welcome Patrick Anderson and Liv Lee from the Mock E Vlog YouTube channel to the show this morning. Liv also contributes to the website A Girl's Guide to Cars. So hey there, everybody. Good to see you all. Good morning. All right. All right. So uh, let's, before we get into everything, let's just kick the show off with uh, the EV News Daily Weekly Reporting Roundup. Thanks, Tom. Well, Volvo followed Tesla in suspending production of their electric vehicles. Volvo made them in Ghent in Belgium, like the XC40 and the C40, uh, because of tensions in the Red Sea and supply chains coming from China. The Mercedes CTO questioned the need for solid-state batteries. And talking to the media in a roundtable this week, he said, yeah, sure, I totally get the fact that solid-state batteries, and they're investing in many projects, by the way, could bring benefits, but you can make great EVs now at all price points with current technology and the way that it's improving. Which leads me to this one. Panasonic said they would launch enhanced EV batteries in 2024, a 10% improvement on the batteries that they make. Of course, the OG partner of Tesla, who these days does have many suppliers of batteries, but back in the day it was a Panasonic, but there's still a big investment at the Gigafactory in Nevada and still making improvements in the battery technology. Same form factors, but what goes inside, I think people often forget, is vastly improved. Whereas Honda's CEO suggested that a breakthrough like solid-state battery technology is crucial to make cost-effective EVs, at least if we want them before 2030. And Japanese bedfellows Nissan delayed the start of production of two new electric vehicles to be made in Canton, Mississippi, the company citing the need to enhance, what they say, product competitiveness. My heart really bleeds for Nissan. The Leaf, again, the original, so good. The Aria, great vehicle, but I don't hear too many people talking about it. I don't know what the sales are doing. I need to check. Again, Nissan saying, oh, we can't make these two new EVs because they're not going to be competitive enough and we need better technology. I mean, I won't say the T word, but those Japanese automakers are not having a great time of it recently in terms of their ambitions. If you compare it to the US, the European, the Chinese, the South Korean companies that are all in on EVs, they don't seem to have the same problems that 
Japanese have. Uh, LG is launching their EV charger factory in Fort Worth. They'll start with making AC chargers and then DC fast chargers to come next. Uh, the spicy Volkswagen ID3 GTX, GTI, call it what you will, is going to be a rear-wheel drive model. I'm not going to re-engineer that to be all-wheel drive, which GTX, I think, means all-wheel drive or they wanted it to in electric world. Just call it the GTI. No one minds it. Tycon Turbos, they've got no turbo in. Well, contrary to what Mick Jagger and Keith Richards would have you believe, EV owners can get some satisfaction, uh, particularly Rivian R1T owners and Hyundai Ionic 6 owners, topping the Consumer Reports survey of buyers for if they'd buy another one. Porsche will unveil the all-electric Macan on January 25th, 100 kilowatt hour lithium-ion battery, well over 300 miles of range 800 volts architecture 80 percent charge 10 to 80 in 22 minutes and a unique high voltage switch which can divide the battery into two to operate on two times 400 volts bmw reached a significant shift with electric cars now driving their sales growth outpacing combustion cars the chief financial officer walter myrtle there saying that the tipping point for combustion sales he believes was checks notes surpassed sometime last year and that the future is electric according to bmw dodge introduced some photos of their charger daytona srt the performance electric vehicle in a pre-production format still due to be released by the end of this year elon musk began negotiations for his new uh, package his new pay package and was talking about how although he had to sell tesla shares to cover tax liabilities and fund the acquisition of Tesla, uh, he wasn't happy about having to sell those shares. Uh, it took him down to 13% control of Tesla. Uh, there are some, I think, some intricacies of when things vest, which haven't fully happened yet, but I bore you now. Uh, basically, he wants 25% control of Tesla, many interpreting that as a the first opening salvo in negotiations of, hey, give me some more stock. Uh, some shareholders uh, believe that his launching of AI businesses himself outside of Tesla is not only a conflict of his uh, duties as an officer of the company, but also using Tesla as his personal piggy bank. Let's talk a little bit about the Swedish energy storage company Northvolt securing a $5 billion project financing to expand their gigafactory in northern Sweden. EV education and advocacy organization Plugin America have been around longer than most has received a new $5 million grant from the DOE to educate people on electric vehicles, just as we do here on this podcast. We'll get our grant application in. Uh, Tesla slashes their car prices across Europe. The Model Y long range is now $49,990. That's euros, lower by over 8%. That's a beefy price cut. And Jeep provided a teaser of their upcoming Wagoneer S, the electric SUV, all-wheel drive, 0 to 63.5 seconds, over 600 horsepower, and on sale, fall 2024. That's your news. Don, back to you. Uh, we, uh, that was great, Martin. Thank you. I think my mic was muted there. Uh, so, yeah, last week we, we covered all the cars that came or uh, coming this year, and that Jeep Wagoneer S was on that list. And we even had those specs. So, I don't know. It was just nice to see this week. And the, and the Dodge Charger, too. I don't know. Did you guys see some more of those that footage of the Dodge Charger running around? I don't know. Looks, looks yeah, good. I'm just hoping they come this year. I mean, that's they, they reiterated both of those vehicles this uh, after our show last week. So, yeah, let's hope Great. it happens. We need more vehicles.
All right. Uh, so if you looked at the news or social media this week, I just closed my notes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you may have heard about uh, Tesla owners having huge charging issues. Of course, the country just got hit by a polar vortex and it's been extremely cold. A lot of EV enthusiasts uh, have seen the headlines and just like written them off as like, anti-EV FUD. And now on the other side, the headlines have confirmed in the minds of many that EVs just aren't ready for prime time. Um, so although he unfortunately can't be with us today as he's like somewhere over the Atlantic making his way back from Germany, Kyle did us all a solid by stopping over in Chicago a couple days ago just to kind of check out what was going on with the EV charging situation there. So uh, according to Kyle, it seems like the extremes are both wrong uh, and the whole situation could have been avoidable, uh, at least to some extent. Um, yes, there, I believe some supercharger sites were completely down. And maybe we have a merch in, in the uh, comments here. He was with uh, Kyle on that, on that video. And I believe, I forget what he goes under. He goes doesn't go by his name. He goes by his YouTube channel. Um, Charging the road. Thank you. Thank you, Liv. All <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah, uh, feel free to... to uh, correct me in the comments there if you, if I get any of this wrong. Uh, but yeah, so some of the supercharger sites I understand were completely down, which is extremely rare. And uh, Electrify America and EVgo sites had some pedestals down, which is less surprising, but the whole situation was made worse, I understand, by dr some, some drivers not understanding how batteries really work in cold weather. So throughput, throughput at the chargers was slow, with some people waiting like five hours to charge. Uh, and that's because the batteries just don't charge below 32 degrees Celsius, right? Or th yeah, 32 degrees Fahrenheit, zero degrees Celsius. Uh, so Tom, you live in New Jersey and you, where you get winter weather. So what happens when someone plugs in their car when it's below freezing? Yeah. So, um, and excuse me, my voice still isn't hundred percent back yet. I seem to be struggling to really get this past me, uh, but I feel okay. Uh, so, um, you know, the chemical reaction inside the battery slows down and pretty much everything slows down when it gets cold, not just batteries, but the chemical reaction slows down and it doesn't allow the batteries to even accept power when they get to a certain uh, temperature. And what will happen if your EV battery pack is really cold soaked and it's too cold when you first plug it in. Uh, most EVs now, not some EVs, uh, particularly the older ones might not even do this, but some of the, most of the new EVs, what they'll do is they'll take power from the charger and they'll use that to warm the batteries before the charging process even begins. And in an extreme case, like we had here in Chicago, where it was very cold for a prolonged time, there were a lot of these vehicles that were cold soaked out on the streets for many hours. Um, and they, you know, were pulling up to charging stations with very low state of charges and just, you know, their batteries were just below the temperature that they could even accept power. Some people didn't understand that the vehicle needed to plug in and warm itself up for a while before it would even start charging. So they were like unplugging and going to another charger and it was like kind of chaos. And then, and even the people that knew what was going on, their vehicles would take two or three hours to charge because the first hour was just warming the battery. And then even once it starts charging, it doesn't pull, you know, 200 kilowatts like they're used to seeing, it's going to charge at a lower rate. So this all kind of like there were a bunch of problems that stacked up. Some of the supercharger sites were out. Some of the sites that were working, the plugs were frozen because the 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 
maybe the person didn't holster the connector right and it laid on the ground and it got ice built up in it. Tesla's uh, uh, superchargers also, and I've noticed this, do have issues sometimes where, particularly in rainstorms and ice storms, if ice does build up on the holster, if there's blowing water, the the connector itself won't um, hang very well. And if it if it's windy, it can actually fall off by itself. So it might not have been people leaving them on the ground. The connectors might have blown off and, and landed on the ground, got frozen. So now you've got this, this perfect storm of um, the vehicles are charging slower. A lot of the people in the Chicago area here use Teslas for uh, rideshare, Lyft and um, Uber. So they might not understand how the vehicles work as well as, say, an owner would. And, of course, they can't charge at home. They don't have the opportunity to charge at home. So you had all these Uber drivers trying to figure out why their car wasn't charging or why it was charging slow. Some of them, uh, the, the state, some of the stations weren't working. Some of the, some of the individual um, chargers weren't working. So there were less stations, more people more time to charge and it all just kind of stacked up and you got to this point where there were queues you know 30 40 50 teslas deep trying to plug in and then the people sitting in their cars waiting to get to the charger hours and hours and hours ran out of energy because they had their heater on and they had to get towed it, it was like chaos but you know there wasn't it, it was it was a bunch of small issues that stacked up to create this this you know this problem but it's a legitimate problem we can't just gloss over it and say oh you know that that's just the media blowing things out of proportion this was a legitimate problem in this area and we can't we can't you know sugarcoat it uh this is the, uh, why we need more charging stations we need more even research on the stations that we have out there to make sure they're robust and can handle any temperatures. You remember last year, some of the new Electrify America sites went down completely in the cold weather. Now, we typically don't see this with Tesla equipment because Tesla seems to have things figured out. But in this case, there were some Tesla sites that appears to be affected by it got really cold and it knocked a couple of them out. We don't know the exact reasons. It could have been power issues on, the, uh, you know, and not the actual Tesla equipment. But, you know, this is all we've had 120 years to perfect and refine gasoline refueling. You know, we're, we're, we're like a decade into EV charging. So there's going to be a lot of skinned knees. There's going to be a lot of issues we have to work through. But this was a this was a uh, this was a bad one if you lived in the Chicago area. And, you know, it 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 reminds me more every time we see something like this, it reminds me more about how we still need robust level two charging uh, for for uh, particularly for people that don't live in individual homes. If you live in a single family home like I do here and have a garage with a charger or two that you could plug in, this problem is is does not happen for you. Unless you're on a very long road trip, one of those times you're on a road trip, you won't experience this because you're charging at home. You leave every day, you know, fully charged. This is for the people that live in the urban areas that there's not enough charging, can't charge at home. But so these urban areas, we have to start getting infrastructure that are that's not just DC fast. So if just think of all these Teslas that the people that were on plug uh, that were on ride sharing, if they could have uh, been plugged in overnight in the garage or the parking lot, wherever they parked there, or even curbside, you know, and had the vehicles preconditioning, warming the battery, you know, uh, so that, that, that's a huge, huge thing that we have to get better. Um, of course, we need more DC fast charging out there for long distance travel, but you know, we, I think we need to get people off of DC fast charging as their regular charging, even the people that 
um, don't live in a private residence that can't charge at home, that live in apartments, multifamily dwellings, level two charging, slower charging still is the best way to go. And it's even better for the battery. So, you know, th there are a lot of things going on here. And I actually got um, I got a little uh, uh, airtime yesterday. Uh, I don't know if uh, I, I saw in the comments at least one person saw uh, Inside Edition that's on CBS contacted me and said, look, you know, we, it seems like you know a little bit about charging. So could we come <laughs> over to your garage and talk to you about uh, what happened in Chicago? And, uh, you know, New York City is only about 50 miles from me here. So I said, sure. So they came. They spent like 40 minutes recording. And, of course, I'm on the show for like eight seconds. But I, that always happens with, with these shows. They always edited it out. But, um, yeah, they came and uh, talked to me about what, why did this happen. And, uh, of course, I, I had a lot of explanations and really kind of went into it. But you get two quick sound bites of me kind of saying, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Vehicles don't charge as well when they get cold. And yeah, charging equipment doesn't work as well when it's cold. That's what you got out of my whole 40 minutes explaining, you know, really what, what happened here. But uh, it was it was, uh, you know, it was a tough it was a tough week if you live in Chicago and you couldn't charge at home. Inside Edition came all the way asked to talking to the charging guru. And that's that's all they. Oh, my God. Uh, that's the funny thing is they shot a lot of of like b-roll in my garage i right. think they're going to use it for future like oh, ev nice. charging stuff they even shot me putting a charger in my uh the freezer to do a freeze test because i was i talked to them about this i said you know i right. freeze test these units for home use to to make sure that they work in these sub-zero temperatures so they recorded me like taking it putting it in the freezer and everything so i, I you know i'm sure i gave them you know, I didn't sign anything, but I'm sure I gave them the rights to use that whenever they want to. <laughs> and uh, but I don't mind. That's fine. Right on. Uh, coming to a, an inside edition near you, Tom Malagi pulling cable out of the freezer. Um, awesome. So, uh, Liv and Patrick, have you you've been kind of watching this whole scene? What's your take on the situation over there in Chicago? Uh, well, it's interesting. And Murchie's a, a good friend of ours. He used to live out here in Southern California. So okay. we, you know, we were definitely paying attention to his reporting. And, um, you know, it was, it was one of these things I think Kyle mentioned in his videos, like sometimes you see this stuff on the mainstream media news and, and it's like, you know, EVs are bad and they're dying in the cold weather. And you're thinking, yeah, that's just the news. They just right. want to say, that. but then we were seeing Norway, and, right? Yeah, yeah. We we were seeing Murchie like reporting the same thing. And it seemed like, you know, it was an actual real issue. Um, and then, it, it, you know, as Tom was saying, it just everything stacks up. And uh, I sort of was thinking about it because like we were in Vegas last week for CES and uh, we kept trying to DC fast charge. And it was like EA, every single station was except for one in the city was full like every single time i checked it like the entire week it was like i was checking at six o'clock in the morning i was checking in the middle of the day i was checking uh when ces ended and i was checking like 11 o'clock at night and i was like i'm gonna be able to do this at some point um and the tesla chargers were full as well and all it took was uh, a little bit colder temperatures not you know it was vegas cold um and then you bring in a bunch of tech nerds that all have teslas and uh, pole stars and whatever. So uh, it, it, it's something that, you know, it, it, part of it is, um, you know, the Uber and Lyft programs, like just making it so easy for those drivers to, to get an EV, which is great. Um, but it's also, you know, the, the problem with like, how do you plan an infrastructure 
uh, say like in Chicago, and it may be, you don't want to have a ton of extra chargers, but if you have like 25% extra capacity, but now people need to charge more often because their range isn't great. And then when they get to the charger, they're there maybe twice as long. So now all of a sudden that, that charger that was 75% full last week is now at, you know, 200% uh, over capacity or under right. capacity, however you look at it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and I, you know, may, I, I would have loved to have blamed this on the free charging programs because that's I, I love to, to, to kick that whenever I can. But it doesn't seem like that was the cause here. It doesn't seem like these uh, the sites that had problems were all littered with ID4s and, and uh, you know, other vehicles that got free unlimited charging, which uh, is still a, a, a tremendous issue. Uh, this really seemed like a lot of it was 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 the rideshare drivers. Um, the, the, the Uber drivers and a lot of them had Teslas and the LFP Tesla packs were having more of a difficulty in colder temperatures, which we know is the case. So it was, it, you know, it's, I, I can't, um, blame it on my usual punching bag. Uh, but, so, uh, so one of the, one of the, uh, interesting things about this whole, uh, you know, rideshare program, uh, driver situation is that most of those people have like single motor versions of the, of the Tesla, like model three, model Y. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, so yeah, they have like the single motor versions. So uh, Tesla uses heat scavenging from the motors to heat up the batteries. So if you only have one motor, that's like less heat to scavenge from. So uh, on his video, Kyle was saying that it's a good possibility that, you know, with extreme temperatures like this and the wind blowing, it's actually whooshing under the car and cooling the battery is almost as fast as it can be heated up by that little bit of heat in, in those and those single motor cars, you know, with the LFP batteries is also, I think the LFP also plays into this a bit, but yeah. uh, I also wanted to mention that, uh, right. Merch, you mentioned uh, he wanted to see uh, rideshare drivers having their own uh, charging resources, like their own, you know, fenced in yard or something because, and we don't want to blame the, the drivers. Like, oh, let me just put this up here on the screen real quick. Don Sullivan was saying too many people are blaming the drivers for this. Um, the manufacturers need to redesign the car so the drivers, so the driver doesn't need to learn all this if you want EVs to go mainstream, and that's a great point. Uh, but you kind of have to know a few little things. Like we all we know all about the little, you know, the the, the vagaries, the little situation, the things with uh, uh, internal combustion vehicles because we've had them for so long. You know, we're used to the things that they do in certain conditions. But so this thing with electric vehicles it's just a matter of knowing about how batteries work in, in the cold but then again too you know so in the in the well i'm getting ahead of myself so in the in the re, uh in the ride sharing programs it seems like and a lot of these are rentals it doesn't seem like they're getting any education at all like they're just giving these cars and putting them out there and they're, so they're going to these charging stations and sitting there forever and 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 also charging to 100% instead of 80%, like a lot of Uber drivers will do that. And, you know, between 80 and 100%, if, if you're unaware, the charging has to slow down quite a bit. So it just takes makes the whole situation that much worse. But, uh, yeah, I, I do agree that we can't, uh, the technology has to evolve to be able to handle this. You know, either, I don't know, if it's like a matter of solid state improving the whole situation or, or, or just a smarter software doing heat management things, you know, in the background. And it's got to, be, the, it's got to be to education, hasn't it? Like we, yeah, can't, I, we, we can't rely on technology to fix what is essentially 
education. Yeah, I, I think we all we need a blend of both. Or I mean, technology can only do so much, right? So yeah, you know, it can only it has its limits. Yeah, yeah and, and also it, this was a, a, not a one-off, but it was a, a exceptional circumstance. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Norway, which is a really good example. Hmm. Very very high EV adoption rate. Uh, Eighty percent passenger vehicles in twenty twenty two. It was like ninety one point three percent at the end of last year. I've not seen the yearly figure for twenty twenty three of plug in um, and pure bevs in Norway. But that th there is no other environment in the world for testing EV performances, and EVs run just fine in Norway because people know how to use them. Not only have they run fine this year and last year, but have done for years. But also because. I'm sure our, you know, Canadian viewers and all sorts will, will, will attest to driving combustion cars requires sometimes plug-in heaters so that your car will even turn over and all those kind of things. Now, this week it was minus four Celsius for me, which is 25 Fahrenheit, um, which is which is nippy down here on the south coast. We don't often get minus temperatures. Didn't snow, no moisture in the air. But in Norway this week, uh, we were getting the Arctic blast that was coming down, blowing, it was a northerly, so it was coming down through the Nordics and hitting, hitting the UK. Um, it was minus 23. In Norway, which is minus nine Fahrenheit. And so we didn't get overrun with articles from Norwegian news outlets losing their mind. People just got on and went to work and took the kids to school and do what they do, partly because they're used to it. They garage their vehicles. Norway is a different, um, you know, uh, I suppose there are built up areas. And of course, but what we're dealing with here, I guess, was particularly Chicago and particularly maybe people who, as you say, don't have home charging because they're rideshare or Uber drivers, but with proper knowledge, with proper preparation, with dealing with your vehicle, whether it's EV or combustion the right way, things, uh, it's absolutely fine to drive an EV there. There's there, there's no better proving ground than the Norway, which is the world's biggest EV market. And the, um, uh, the roadside assistance service is there in Norway saying this week off the back of all the craziness coming out of the US and scratching their heads and going, what's all the fuss about? Uh, one of the Norwegian re recovery uh, companies came out and said, look, in, our, in all of our stats, EVs are far less prone to breakdowns when the temperatures get really cold than combustion. Uh, there's one breakdown firm called Viking uh, that uh, at the beginning of this year had dealt with 34,000 calls for assistance. 13% were EVs. And a majority of those were not our battery won't charge. And so a lot of this education. I, I also must I, I must say, I think Tesla got a good kicking unfairly this this week because they are the poster child of electric vehicles. Um and a lot of I saw a lot of articles over you know, I suppose the ones that target Elon Musk particularly because it's clickbait and they're gonna get some clicks on that, but also just saying, oh, you know, Tesla doesn't educate their their owners. I couldn't disagree more. I think Tesla do more than anyone to talk about how to whether you should top charge your vehicle, whether it's 80% or road trip 100% or you've got an LFP pack in yours, so please do charge to 100% because the BMS needs it to calibrate. Um, but also, I'm sure Tesla have talked in the past about never going below 20% in extreme cold weather and having your vehicle plugged in. I'm, I can't think of a company that's done you know more to educate people than Tesla over the years. So uh, that was that was I think it was an easy kicking, and I think Tesla took a took a beating this week. Very very unfairly um i did see if i can bring this up i did this morning knowing we were coming on air it was minus four last night plug in car scanner for the first time on the polestar because as you as viewers know i've had a polestar for two weeks now um and i've not used the obd doobery 
Um, so I plugged in Medubri and uh, the uh, let's see if I can bring this on. Um, uh, there's a profile for XC40 recharge, so I chose that. It's all the same car, same settings, and it and it, it worked. And this is what it was showing me this morning. So I think these ones down here, which are drivetrain coolant temperature and and coolant stuff, is the is down here, which is the kind of 20 degrees, low 20s, which is pretty warm. It was minus four. But there were two up here. Oh, there was actually there was three sensors up here, which I think it was the HV battery coolant inlet. Um, mm. So what I'd, what I'd done is I'd set my departure time for 9 a.m. this morning, about half eight, I actually take my little one to school. Um, and and it worked. It worked perfectly. So I went to bed last night and thought, oh, I, I know in the Polestar there's not a manual button that says preconditioned battery, you heat it or cool it because I'm heading to a charger. Obviously, it runs Google. So if you do navigate to a charger, it will do that uh, because it runs on Android. Um, so I read the manual for all of 30 seconds, and it said, if you want to pre precondition your car, there are two things. There's cabin preconditioning, and don't confuse that with battery preconditioning. And if you want to precondition your battery, all you have to do inside the app is set your departure time. And that tells the car um, to, to heat up the battery so that you don't drive off and get the little snowflake icon, which is over the battery, if you want high-performance driving. And I thought that took me 30 seconds on a new car of just Googling it. Oh, no, I'm a little more in EV world than the average person. And I did it, and I checked it this morning, and it seems to have got to like 69 degrees if I'm looking at the right thing. And it has heated, heated cert certain bits of the car were hot. Um, but again, I've never looked at those sensors before. I need to learn more about them, what I just showed you. Um, it's the first time I've looked at them today. So I think a lot of his education, Dom. Yeah, I, I I agree, Martin. But one of the things I'd like to see personally is, and I know that there's uh, uh you know the owner's manual and the tutorials built into the the uh, Tesla system, but one of the things I noticed that Ford started implementing, I forget at some point last year, when it's really cold, when I turn my uh, lightning off, I get a little icon that pops up on the driver's screen that says, you know, warning, it's very cold. Uh, best practice is to plug in your vehicle. It'll keep it nice and warm and you'll improve your range. I like that, that, you know, I know that, but there's a lot of people that don't know that. And I, I'd like to even see it one step further in an instance like this in Chicago, where there was obviously, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of Teslas that were having difficulty and they were, the batteries were too cold. soaked to even accept power the, the, they could have a pop-up on the whole center screen. That's like warning. You know, you're, you're, the, the temperature is dropping, your battery is getting to critical temperature. Plug this in um, as soon as you can. It's going to charge slowly. You know, the, for the first 20 or 30 minutes, you may not be even accepting any power into your battery. That's how batteries work. Force people to learn it because people are lazy. Uh, not everybody even wants to spend five minutes looking at the owner's manual, Martin, like, like, like you did. And and I would I would just stick it in their face and make them read that and like you know have like it has to remain on the screen for five seconds before you're even allowed to close it out and and just kind of reinforce this cold weather uh, you know issue because you you say well if they don't want to learn that's their problem they'll be stuck stranded but it's not just their problem this turned into other people's problems because there was a, a pool of people that maybe didn't understand their vehicles didn't uh, you know do the right thing and that that affected hundreds of other people that maybe do understand and was just trying to get some energy and couldn't because there was 50 you know dead teslas in front of them mm -hmm. trying to get on the supercharger so i mean i would i would do some kind of you know campaign with 
uh, pop-ups on the screen that explains cold weather charging performance. And they could even do that when it's cold outside, right? They know what, what the temperature is in that area. So, hey, special special message for you guys because the temperature is going to say um, it's supposed to be getting down to the, you know, in the, in, deep into the freezing range. Little message pops up just to give you some hinters and pointers of what to do with that. Yeah, I saw I that like, on the. I like Smidge 204's answers. Lock the doors until they acknowledge the message. Lock <laughs> them in. You can't get out until you read this damn thing. <laughs> It's a good that's point because yeah. I, I think that's a great place to do a lot of charging education. Um, so I like like when you plug in a Tesla and you're at a busy charger, it's like, hey, you're not you're only going to charge to 80 percent unless you right. override that. Um, I wish all manufacturers did more of that um, and, and just more comprehensive so that it would say like, uh, you know, you're charging slow because, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's cold outside. Uh, you're charging slow because it's getting toward the end of the, the charging curve. Um, but also, and I know everybody will probably appreciate this, like when, when you have a bolt owner that plugs into a 350, it says, <laughs> hey, you're plugged into a 350. By the way, you're not going to get 350, you know, right. um, because we, we get a lot of that type of thing. You know, we're active in the forums and we see a lot of people that are like, I don't know why this isn't working. Um, I don't know why I'm derated. There, there was one time I was... Uh, uh, helping out a, a Nissan Aria owner. And he was like, I don't know why the, like he just bought it. And he's like, the, the, the guy just told me it'll charge at whatever speed. And I'm like, but you're on a 50 kilowatt charger. And he's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, uh, and it's like, yes, you know, he probably got a lot of information that day. He probably got his education a little bit, but if the tree, you know, like if in the car is like, Hey, the charger you're plugged into is only 50 kilowatts. You're not going to charge any faster if there are other fast and and then of course you know the car should also recognize like hey there's four other uh 150 stations at this same location why don't you try one of those i have to give a shout out to whoever said that clippy needs to come back that's adorable <laughs> i want clippy popping up and i feel like that would be like very welcome oh <laughs> i see you're trying to charge and it's cool i think a lot, a lot of gen xers that would get triggered i don't know <laughs> clippy <laughs> uh for those who don't know who aren't like old like me that was a little microsoft uh animation thing that would give you tips and hints back in the, in the early 2000s clippy or was that in the 90s maybe 90s even 90s, right? yeah. yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> Um, all right. So basically though, if what, what's the takeaway really for our viewer, for our audience, you know, if you, if you're not familiar, if people are watching this or who aren't familiar with EVs, basically when you get in super cold temperatures like this, what is the advice? Just plug in beforehand, preconditioned. Uh, I don't know, Tom, how, how would you explain like, uh, you know, preconditioned cause not every car even has preconditioned. I understand Volkswagen ID fours. Do they have preconditioning? So it, every mm. well, every vehicle has different type of precondition. Not all of them have preconditioning, but okay. all the vehicles have different types of thermal management systems. Okay. Um, so, like for instance, the Lightning that that I have, when I first got it, it didn't precondition for DC fast charging. But then Ford pushed out an update that now, if you set your the DC fast charger as a destination. Uh, it'll start preconditioning the battery once you get to 20 miles out from the destination. So I, all the vehicles have all different preconditioning. The ID4 initially didn't have it. The newer ones do. So, you know, it's 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 hard to, to put a blanket and say this is what you do with EVs because they all act differently. But in general, 
if the vehicle you're driving does have preconditioning, when you set when you set the the destination in the nav system as the as the destination, that's when it'll recognize you're going to charge and it'll precondition. Very few EVs allow you to manually turn on preconditioning. Very few. Right. I think they all should. But I think the companies are concerned that people don't understand uh, how to use it, when to use it. So they don't give you the option to do that. So so basically, the good policy is if you have an EV, even if you know where you're going to, when you're going to a supercharger or DC fast charger, set that as your destination in your vehicle's navigation system. Even if you don't need directions to get there, and, and if your vehicle does have preconditioning, that's when it will turn itself on. Unless... You've had that turned off in the settings of your vehicle that, you know, you can actually turn off precondition on the way to a DC fast charger. So th this stuff's complicated. It's no, there's no one easy way for us to explain everything to, to everyone, Don. But yes, that's what I would do. I would also urge people to try, if you're in an instance like this with, with you think there's a problem, it's super cold, you hear that's people, try to go to your the DC fast chargers. Um, during off hours that that might mean getting up super early one day or staying up late one night when, when it's less of a crunch also see if you could find public uh, ac chargers they're out there uh you know and and a lot of people don't use them because it just takes too long but you know what if there was a, a level two charger a couple miles from your house you you, you could you could go the night before plug in leave it there overnight take an uber or something back to your to your house uh, and and then in the morning go go get your car uh you know it's uh, this was an extreme case it's it's hard to guide people to to have a uh, deal with something like this but right. in general like you said yes keep your vehicle at a high state of charge some people maybe when it gets really cold uh, some people charge once a week maybe charge twice a week keep your state of charge higher um precondition on the way to the charging station uh, see if you can park in sunlight that believe it or not that makes a difference even if it's when it's really cold out if you're parked in direct sunlight the battery could be 10 or 15 degrees warmer and and that makes a big difference um there's not a lot you can do if you're parking out on the street and it's below zero dumb other than keep your state of charge high see if you can find ac chargers in precondition right yeah ac chargers are are the thing that really helps a lot for for a lot of owners at least so we need to get some. I know people that even just plug into level level one, 120 oh, yeah. volt doing yeah. this. It might just just barely be enough to keep the thermal management system going. You're not going to be gaining any miles, but you might have the battery 20 or 30 degrees warmer. So when you do go charge somewhere, it'll immediately be able to accept power. Right. But you know, and just just yeah. one last thing before we move on. I thought I would just 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 remind people that when we say precondition, we mean it basically is just a heater in the battery. It's just heating up the battery, basically. Yeah. Well, there's there's two preconditions. You need to be careful what you talk like. Okay. Because yeah, no, you're right. I'm just saying that when we see it in the the manual or whatever or the app, and it says, "Do you want to precondition your car?" That's probably that probably means the cabin, not the battery. Yes. Um, this will this will give you a laugh. On I found it on Reddit because I was just, look, just researching if the ID4 does have a preconditioning. Uh, at the delivery, my dealer told me that it's important to turn on the air conditioning at 21 degrees and wait <laughs> five to ten minutes before departing. This sounds nonsense. <laughs> yes, my friends. It does. Yes, it is nonsense. The air conditioning makes no difference to changing the battery temperature. But there we go. Oh, uh, I was, yeah. Further down that thread, it does say that in software 3.5, buried somewhere is a precondition. Yeah. battery button 
on the ID4s now, on the ID5s. They added so, it. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. No, oh, appreciate that. Mark, thank People you. People used to literally break their arms, crank starting their cars in the early days of ICE. This too will pass. Good points. Mm. Good. It's very true. It will pass. Things will be, it'll be a whole different world in five years from now, EVs, I, I think. Um, yes, but let's move on because we've got some good stuff to talk about here. Um, Patrick, I understand we should all be a little bit jealous of you right now. Um, so not only did you get to attend an event a couple of days ago where Ford unveiled this uh, F-150 Lightning switchgear demonstrator vehicle, you got to ride in it with Vaughn Gittin Jr. behind the wheel. And you got not only did you get to meet uh, Ford CEO Jim Farley, which I think you may have met him before, actually, but you also... Yeah. He also drove you around a track in the uh, the Ford Supervan, which is like an, an electric, like it sounds, Supervan. Um, that's nuts, man. I understand. I understand you went on behalf of uh, Out of Spec Studios, so uh, this footage should be up on their uh, reviews channel as we speak. But uh, tell us a bit about the event first, and then we'll talk get into the switch gear itself. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, it was actually like while we were at CES, we were sharing an Airbnb with Kyle and he was like, uh, hey, I just got this invite to this Ford event. I can't go. I'm going to be in Germany. Um, he's like, do you, do you guys want to go? Uh, and Liv and I were both hoping to go, but they like it was very limited, uh, the number of slots that they had. So <clears throat> I flew out to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. It was at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And the event was actually to kick off the uh, 2024 Ford Performance Racing Season. So they have a lot of ice stuff. They had the GT3. We got to tour uh, Multimatic. Um, so that was awesome. But uh, for our audience, I know they're excited by the EV stuff. And I was super excited. And they, they, you know, they alluded to in our schedule of like we were going to have special drivers that were going to give us rides, but they didn't actually say exactly what we were getting getting rides in. Um, I, I figured it was the switch gear because they mentioned, you know, that we, we did get the embargo stuff that like, hey, the switch gear is coming out. Um, and this isn't like something that's going into production and you're gonna be able to order. It is a, uh, like the Mach-E 1400. It's built by RTR in conjunction with RTR, uh, which is, you know, Von Gittin Jr.'s uh, company. And the whole idea is like they're going to take it, they're going to enter it into some like uh, expos, demos. They're hopefully they'll take it around, and people will also get to to ride in this as well. Um, but it's the, the idea is like to sort of like demonstrate like how cool EVs can be. Uh, maybe get away from you know how far can it tow, but like how cool can it be? You know. Uh, so yeah, we we went out there. They're like, all right, let's uh, put you in the van. You're going to go out off site, and we we get there and then there's Von Gittin Jr. Just like super enthusiastic and excited and explaining about the truck. Um, and and the, the video filming was like so rushed because they literally were like, as soon as he finished, he talked for like two minutes. They're like, all right, grab helmets. We're going to start putting people out. And it, you uh, like, I think I was in the second go round and it was just amazing. Like uh, first of all, when they said special driver, I didn't realize it was going to be Vaughn, um, but that was right. cool. Right. And then um, that, you know, they give us our helmet. Um, I, they're like, I, I chose to get in the back because I was like, this will give me the best view and I can see him like navigating. But I didn't know what the course was going to be or anything like that. Um, but I should mention Switchgear is a basically a, a Lightning XLT 
and they took off the, the fenders, they put on bigger fenders, they put on bigger wheels, and they really beefed up the suspension. So there's, it's basically almost the equivalent of like a uh, F-150 Lightning Raptor, but they're calling it a, a switch gear. Right. Uh, so it's not as outlandish as the Mach-E 1400 was. Like nobody could build that. But uh, I actually asked Vaughn, I was like, an enthusiast could almost do this. He goes, oh, yeah. If you go to a true off-road shop, you could probably do this with your Lightning. You'd have to spend money, but you could do this. Um, but yeah, stock powertrain, but just a lot of suspension upgrades. And oh my God, like he just like floored it going through the woods, just <laughs> flying. And then uh, he goes, uh, are you guys okay uh, like getting airborne? And oh. like words did not make sense. <laughs> Lightning airborne and like right. we, we did it we did the jumps um it, it was just amazing like how powerful this was but how the suspension was uh handling everything um afterwards uh, I, we actually had lunch and i was talking to him a little bit and he was just like this is such a fantastic platform as we all know you know evs with just the the instant torque and he's like there's a lot less that you have to manage when you're in an ev you got to deal with the weight um, and there's some other other little things like in a gas Raptor, you have a lot of the weight up front with the engine and, and the back right. is not heavy. Right. Um, but it's also, you know, the advantage of the EV is that it's nearly 50-50 center of gravity um, and the weight's down low. And he's like, so there's there's times where he has to like tap the brake to get the front to, to like dip down. So then it'll have the traction so he can, he can actually turn. So um that was just like just mind blowing, and and hopefully they'll tour with that. Uh, after lunch, the next round was um, again. They were talking about we're going to have a special driver um, go out to the the, the super van four, and then I hear them. You know, like the the first group is the first you know rider is out there. They're they're talking to Jim, and I'm like, no way. Uh -uh. And if you don't know, like. Jim Farley has his pro racing license. He's uh, raced in like classic cars. He's raced in like the classic GT40, like a 1965 GT40 and, and uh, Ooh, made nice. podium in that. So he loves racing. And uh, like he was rip, rip, ripping it around. Um, my, my brother saw the video and he was like, which was scarier, the riding in the, the switch gear or riding in the the super van i'm like they were both just so intense uh the the super van four if you guys don't know um it uh went up pike speak last year right. and in the in class it saved or shaved 25 seconds off the, the record so it went up in eight minutes and 47 seconds it just and then it then it handles a track like this just no problem that's amazing. Actually, uh, just that, now that you've just mentioned Pike's Peak, uh, in some of the footage somewhere, I watched of the, oh, during the, I think it was during the presentation, the, the, the live event at, when you yeah. went there, they, at the, uh, they had a live video event in that evening when you were yes. there. Uh, uh, and they mentioned there, there's some new undisclosed Ford EV is going to go up Pike's Peak this summer. Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, again, it was a kickoff of the, their racing and demonstration season and mm -hmm. all of this stuff. Right. And um, they specifically mentioned Pike's Peak and they said, we're going to be back at Pike's Peak with something mm -hmm. all new. So, right. Um, so that's a, it's not T3, you think, is it? The next Ford pickup truck? Ooh, I think it's going to be another custom build. Okay. Um, 
Mm-hmm. It may be because it because they actually it was like Superman four, um, and then they named it Superman four point two. They did modifications to go up Pike's Peak. It might be like Superman five or something like that, or okay. maybe something that looks more appropriate. The, the Superman four is just such a it's almost like a goofy looking vehicle, right? But it's the most powerful vehicle I've ever been in. So sure. And by the way, like I you know one of the things I thought was neat was uh, he was uh, he and the engineers that were there like you know, uh, having computers hooked up to the Superman four downloading data and stuff. They were tickled to show like, it's, it's still run. Like they had the like Maki lightning screen in it. Um, and with the dry boats. And I actually uh, was like one of the only ones, I think the only one that got to do two laps with them because, um, they had went in, they came back out. And when we did our first lap, it was in road mode. And he's okay. like, oh, uh, stay right where you are and he like brings the screen up and he like switches dry boats just like i would switch from whisper to unbridled uh so that like he's like let me put it in in track mode and then we went back out again i was like okay yeah that it was a world of difference wow it's amazing i gotta give a shout out to patrick though like uh we actually have full-time day jobs we took a week off to go to ces so in order to pull this off it sounds like a crazy fun thing but patrick uh worked a full day then took a red eye got two hours sleep got to the hotel and then worked his day job, then did the event and then worked. So kudos. That was yeah, super that's great. amazing, Patrick. <laughs> it was worth it. And, and, you know, and to be honest, like uh, I didn't know how spectacular fun this was going to be, but it's uh, I, I sort of joke like uh, throughout the past couple of years, like I'll, I'll get a phone call or something from Kyle and he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know, but what do you want me to be? You know, uh, Kyle is great. Um, yeah. I know everybody in the chat and everybody here knows that, but um, he really is. It's uh, thank him for this opportunity. I'm so glad he was in Germany for this. So. <laughs> yeah, um, he's doing great, th- interesting things too in Germany that we can't talk about for a while. But yeah, and he's not here, so he he won't be embarrassed if we say, you know, Kyle really is like. Behind the scenes, super helpful. He's just a really great and, and giving guy with his time and energy and everything. It's, it's, it's kind of nuts. Anyway, uh, so just specifically about the uh, the switch switch gear. So just I wanted to give some technical inf- info real quick. So it's got 37-inch tires, which are huge. Uh, the exterior bodywork is car- carbon. I think the uh, the cab is not, though, right? No, it's the, they just basically replaced the fenders. So it's, okay, and in yeah. the box, the box had flares on it. And right. now that I think about it, yeah, it was flared out. I don't know if they replaced the box completely, or, or maybe just, just like the, the bodywork on the exterior of the box. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's some, and then they, they widened the track, so you know, the, effectively lengthened the axles. Um, what else got they changed the front it's got unique front and rear bumpers so it has better you know uh departure and approach angles uh custom independent double wishbone suspension at the front multi-link independent suspension at the rear with coilover shocks stabilizer bar custom control arms rock rails skid plates all of, all the stuff man so any hints of this making it to like the public really in a, in a electric in a lightning in the future i don't think so um the the uh the the one press release thing that we got though said uh it was all talking about the off-road and then there was like this little thing and it said something about like uh and on the pavement more about that later 
So uh, there was right. like this, and I tried to get people to talk about it, um, but nobody, it was like, no, this is just the, the switch gear right here. It's what you see in front of you. So nobody wanted to talk about uh, the future stuff, but. Okay. Maybe they have some weird, like, so like back, back in the day, the original F-150 Lightning was like a street performance car. So maybe yes. they want to make like a, a street performance Lightning. So like a, a Lightning Lightning. Oh, that would be. <laughs> Lightning yeah. does, they say lightning doesn't really strike twice, but <laughs> I, I know there's been a lot of uh, requests for uh, lift kits and bigger suspension on the lightning. Um, and already, like the, the people I know, and Tom can, I'm sure, talk better about this, but the, the independent rear suspension is uh, a first for the F-150 and it's on the lightning and it just makes it handle really, really well. Um, and it, I don't think it would take much to not to do that type of off-roading, but to do some decent off-roading. Sure. I uh, guess that's um, not off-roading. That's well, I guess it is off-roading, but vertically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Off off planet. Um, Tom, so you have an F one fifty lightning. Um, are you tempted to do any aftermarket mods after seeing this at all? Or are you or just this like just a whole different world from what you're into? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I love that that Ford's going in this direction and, and wants to, you know, cater to the enthusiasts that love that. I'm not, I'm not going off road uh, with it. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do lifts or anything like that. It would just kill my range. Um, but I think it's great that they do this. It's, you know, they're not going to sell this, but it's not just a demonstration to show people, look, we can make fun stuff. They learn from, vehicles like this and that's mm -hmm. why you know it has two purposes from that and also for them to understand you know how the vehicle performs in different conditions what will work what won't work and to possibly offer you know some sort of a, a version uh for people that are really into this you know i i'd prefer to see well you know i guess you would call it like a like a raptor like a lightning raptor version which is kind of you know made for both street and a little bit off-road you know the, the Raptor themselves aren't really, um, really made to 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 take extreme off-roading. You know, you really need to put lifts on and bigger, even bigger tires and everything. So, um, but I'd like to see a Raptor version of the Lightning personally. That's what I would prefer over sort of like this extreme off-road version uh, for my personal use. But I I think it's great that they're doing this. They should do it. They should offer all type of aftermarket things. You know, when what Ford offers for the Bronco is crazy the new bronco they have hundreds and hundreds of aftermarket suspension parts and and uh, uh body kits and things like that i actually when i went to detroit once with ford they had this room set up and it was like the bronco aftermarket uh thing where they all the things that they're going to be selling with the bronco this was like a year or so ago i never saw so many things it was like they're like we've been seeding this market to third party people and letting outside companies sell all this these aftermarket things for our vehicles we, we we're going to start doing that now so i'd love to see them do something like that for the lightning and have all kinds of uh you know aftermarket things that you could buy uh, at right from ford and you you want different suspension here go to your ford dealer we'll put it on you want this you want that sure uh, i think that'd be great and and they've um with the mach-e of course just a few months ago they announced the Mach-E rally, which uh, I did ask about that. Like, what, you know, is there an update on that? And they said still targeting spring of 2024, we'll be able to buy a Mach-E rally. And it's not like a, a true 
off-road beast or anything like that, but it has some, you know, good, good, uh, uh, you know, additions, a little bit better suspension, a little bit higher uh, clearance. And it's going to be great for those people that just want to like have fun on some dirt roads with it. And I, I know some people that have specifically said if this was available, they would have, they would have over ordered that over their current Maki because they just need that little bit of extra. They live where there's dirt roads and they just want to go have some fun. And it's like, they know, you know, they're not going to be a rally car driver. It's just like rally esque, you know, <laughs> when nobody's looking. Right. So, yeah. I mean, maybe we'll get something like that with the, the, the lightning, like a, a light version of the Raptor or something. Right. I, I think what's going to happen is I think, I think, you know, Ford has really got a big hit with the Raptor. They do, I think they do really good in, in sales with that thing. And it's super popular. I see them around. I think though it's too late in the product life cycle for the Lightning to really get that treatment. So I, but I think it's going to come maybe in the, like the second or third year of the next gen uh, F-150 or whatever they're calling it. They, they call it the T3 right now T3. that they're going to build out. And, trust and, uh, the truck. Trust the truck. That's right, what right. T3 stands for. That's right. Yeah. Trust the truck. Yeah, Jim. Jim's a great. He's been. On, he was on fire this week. He was talking about you know just Ford and the the car, the product that they're bringing to market. He says no more boring cars. So I'm not sure what that. I want to make a mark or make a joke about the Ford Escape, but, but yeah. days being well, numbered. <laughs> yeah, the days are, are numbered of the Escape. He and that's uh, he to kick off the event. He sort of gave a, a, a an overview of mostly Ford performance, but he did mention that was like one of the big things is like, they don't want to do boring products anymore. And I think that's sort of like the, you know, not super exciting, but they're like, we're going to probably replace the escape with the Bronco sport. He didn't say that, but that's sort of where they're going. Um, and the same thing with the T3, like uh, he didn't talk about the T3 to the crowd that we were in, mm -hmm. but uh, we did meet him before when he was out in LA on his EV road trip. Um, so, he was very specific then of like um which what's going to be coming from t3 is going to be one of the most exciting products they've ever created um and it, it's you know it's like uh sometimes we get these uh press releases and you know things like from nissan or toyota specifically that you're they're just sort of talking about it and it's sort of like uh they they, they went to the thesaurus and just got a bunch of exciting ev related terms um, right it does seem, you know, you know, Jim Farley's like a, a car guy. Yes, um, yeah. He loves these like fun things. And uh, he's sort of the reason like that the Mach-E was actually going to be basically like an electric version of the Escape. He's like, no, that that's not what we want. So um, it does seem like his passion is, is, is really starting to translate throughout the company. Um, and it's really like you can just sort of sense the passion is what I'm trying to sort of get at. It's not a right. it's not this cold press release of like in 2026 we will meet the goals of blah blah blah. And it's like he's just like this is going to be awesome. Like you know, and you see him light up. And uh, and 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 another little tidbit is uh, that I think I thought was cool is like he says he drives his Maki uh, every day, and Von Gittin Jr. showed up in his Maki GT. So I was like. They, they, uh, they're, you know, they love the racing. They love the ice cars and stuff like that, but they see the benefits of, of EVs right. and hopefully that translates back to, you know, them continuing their investment. Um, and, and we probably should mention, we just got an email this morning from, uh, Ford PR. They are talking about increasing production of like the Bronco. Unfortunately, they're talking about uh, reducing the lightning down to one shift. 
which is mm-hmm. not great news. I don't know any way to spin that other than it's not great news. Um, and I don't, I was trying to get what numbers that would be annually because they started off saying 40,000 lightnings per year. Then they doubled it. Their, their target was 80,000. And then I think they increased it almost double again to 150,000. Right. Then a while ago, they were like, we're going to scale back. So I think they would drop back down to 80,000. I'm like, is this still 80,000 or is it going to 40,000 again? Which is it's still a decent number, but um, not right. numbers we were hoping for. Well, not the yet, Lightning not. was the eighth best selling electric vehicle in the US last year in 2023. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's not like it's been a dud. Um, it, you know, it, it, but the, the fact of the matter is, they're, they're, they aren't selling as many as they they thought they would. Now, I'm not going to say as many as, as they initially thought they would, because initially they had very low production production mm-hmm. projections for it. And then when they saw all the reservations, then they said, oh, my God, we need to double. We need to triple production. Mm-hmm. And they did that. They start new lines. And now it's coming down to earth a little bit more. But part of this, the whole thing with Ford, particularly with the lighting, even more so than the Mach-E, is the pushback that they've gotten from their dealers is the, the problem that there are a, a, a vast number of dealers now, particularly in middle America, that are refusing to sell them, that are not buying the Model E franchise and saying, we're not paying you that money that you said, we're not installing chargers, we just don't want these vehicles. So Ford's concern, if, they, if they're making you know 80,000 Lightning and, and 50% of their dealer network doesn't buy into Model E and says, we'll sign up for that three years from now. It's not the right time now. They're going to pile up on on uh, on lots, which, you know, I, I think that's part of the equation. It's not the whole equation, but it's part of it. The, the, they're being sued. Ford was sued in a number of states for the Model E that they were trying to do with, you know, set pricing and everything. We knew they were going to have difficulty with this. Um, I give Ford a lot of credit for going out and trying to break the stranglehold that the dealership franchises have in the U.S. and allow set pricing so you you, you, you can go to the Ford website, order your vehicle, and, and, you know, no haggle pricing. This is the price, and then go pick it up at your dealership. I mean, Ford love to go direct with you, but they know that wasn't the case. But they really did it. They really tried to make this work, and the amount of pushback they had to just, you know, say, okay, we understand it. And now look at the number of dealerships that are just not going to take Model E franchise and say, we're not going to install your chargers. We'd rather just not take these vehicles at all. Give us the other vehicles. You know, we'll, 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 we'll sell EVs in five or six years. Right. And I think that's part of their production costs. I think overall they only sold uh, only, but their eighth most best selling vehicle, but it's 24,000, just over 24,000 units, which is not, it's not great really i I don't know there's no no way to really sure good code that i'm not sure how how we got to that number but i i kind of expected more like yeah close close to double that yeah so did i but you have to also understand it's it it still is a very expensive vehicle the 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 median sale price is probably seventy thousand dollars on on the vehicles that sold and that narrows a lot of potential buyers wow um all right i wanted to show you before we go leave uh ford this is not really a big news story but they uh they shared this i believe yesterday this trim package for the maki since we're talking about maki and we have maki vlog folks on our show right now i just thought i'd i'd share this uh it's an appearance package but it's for the mustang mach e gt 
and uh, but it gets the uh, it gets the Magna Ride suspension of like the 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 top spec of the thing, and it's I think it starts at around sixty thousand, so it's like a pretty decent deal I think going on here. Yeah, sixty thousand nine ninety sixty one, and there's going to be some mysterious optional performance upgrade coming. That's uh that will make it apparently the quickest Maki to sixty miles an hour yet. So that's kind of interesting. Did you hear anything about that, uh, Liv or Patrick? We have not. Uh, they, they didn't mention the Maki at all, really, uh, at the event. Mm-hmm. Um, just in our other uh, interactions with Ford over the past few months, um, like we we got like a briefing about the Maki rally when it came out, and it's and we talked to uh, Donna Dixon, who's the chief engineer of the the Maki. And we got some information like there's there's new motors in the Mach-E, um, but they didn't say is it in all models. I think it might be the the GT models may have Ford motors now. They're currently Borg Warner motors. Oh. Uh, but I was you know it was like well how fast? Uh, so like if you if you notice like on the rally it was like it'll be uh, sub three point five seconds, and then we were like well that's faster than the current Mach-E GT so what's going on and it's like oh there's different motors but then if the maki rally is up three and a half seconds with those tires then a maki gt should even be slightly faster than that um so we we don't really have a lot of uh tech specs that are uh, on this new version of the gt the the one thing about the the magna ride um in the u.s that that was always like the the performance edition of the gt right but um, like in the uk and canada um elsewhere the GT just came with that. So oh, I nice. think, yeah, it, it just, um, you know, on the one hand, it, it simplified production for Ford, but on the other hand, it meant like you couldn't sort of like, let me save a little bit of money and, and still get a GT. Right. I mean, Maki gets knocked for its uh, suspension sometimes and the, and, the, and the Magna ride really fixes all that, right? It fixes it all. It's such a right. good ride. Um, not only better handling, but just like, just better ride quality, you know, driving around. It's excellent. Right. All right. Uh, so I guess let's move on to some, you got any questions about anything there, Tom? You good, Martin? All right. I think you're muted, Martin, but it's okay. We can move on to the next thing. And that is, okay, this thing. It was supposed to debut in the first half of 2023. Didn't happen. Then it was supposed to do debut before the end of 2023. Also didn't happen, probably because Stellantis pulled out of the LA Auto Show after it made the reveal announcement in uh, October, the, the last reveal announcement. So I thought it might de- debut at CES. Want to pull up a picture of this thing for us, Martin? Um, so last Tuesday morning, with about $5 worth of fanfare, a press release was uploaded to the Ram website. And now we know a lot more about the first all-electric vehicle in the Ram lineup. And that's the ProMaster EV. And it's a full-size uh, van built on the same platform as the ICE version of the ProMaster that you've probably seen on the roads for the last uh, seven or eight years. So, But it was designed to be electrified, though. And there's already an electric Fiat version of this and a Vauxhall Opel version of this available in Europe. Uh, so we're a little bit late to the party here. Uh, but the Ram ProMaster EV delivery model with roll-up doors, roll-up rear doors, is now available to order. And they will have two non-delivery slash cargo models with traditional rear doors uh, a little bit later, uh, Ram says. So, But no word on a passenger version. So 
the powertrain in this boasts a uh, 110 kilowatt hour battery that they say has a targeted range of up to 162 miles in city driving. So clearly this is made to do work in towns and cities, uh, maybe not running between the towns and cities so much. Um, let's see. It also features, maybe you can explain this to me a little bit, uh, Tom. They say the Ram ProMaster EV features level three DC fast charging options of 50 kilowatts, 85 kilowatts, 125 kilowatts, and 150 kilowatts. A wall box charger level two with up to 11 kilowatts is available. So I don't, I'm not sure what to take from that really. Any, any ideas? Uh, how, why do we have like multiple charging option power levels? No, I when I saw that, it, I was uh, taken aback a little bit. I think it's um, ridiculous. Uh, throw in 50 kilowatt standard and 150 is your option. That, there's no need to offer those two intermediate levels. Really, there's no need. Right. And, uh, uh, most of the... <clears throat> Most of the vehicles that use these, uh, the companies that use these delivery vans, uh, quite honestly, don't have need for DC fast charging at all. Um, these these vehicles go out, they they have a set route, uh, they deliver product, they pick up product, they come back to the depot, and they plug in and they they charge overnight. Um, you know, 50 kilowatt is probably more than what most of them need, but to offer like what's the benefit of bumping up another 20 kilowatt and then another 20 kilowatt? You know, it's like, it's really bizarre. I've never seen anybody, any other companies really offer like a, a, a step up offering like that. And particularly for this use case, it's, 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 it's more mind boggling to me. You know, I, I, I like the van and I think the range is, is going to be okay for a lot of businesses. Now it says up to 162 miles. So In let's city. say, in city so yeah i know don but you know Dom, first no. of all a lot of delivery vans are in the cities a lot of them are. sure yeah. and 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 even the ones that aren't in quote-unquote cities a lot of businesses and i have friends and i have business partners that own companies that have lots of delivery vans my uncle owns a, a vending company they have um 25 mercedes sprinters uh, my other partner ha owns ice cream distributorship in Patterson, New Jersey. He's got a bunch of vans. He's got trucks too, but he's got a bunch of vans. They know exactly how far these things go every day. And they have set routes and th they, they could live just fine, even in the winter with a vehicle like this, uh, because most of them have 50, 60, 70 miles a day routes. That's it. Right. And, uh, and, and they'd be fine with this and they're not plugging in. They're not stopping them. You're not paying an employee to sit at a DC fast charger True. like midway through the day uh, on his route. You know, it, it, if the and, and you're not using a DC fast charger at your depot, you know, you're setting up a whole bunch of level two charging, even if it's, uh, you know, power sharing or even if it's lower, they don't even have to all charge at 11 kilowatts. The vehicles come back into the depot five, six o'clock at night. They're not getting used till six, seven o'clock in the morning. You got 12 hours. Um, so, uh, you know. Uh, that DC fast charging rate's kind of uh, bizarre to me, but I love these delivery vans. I've said it before on 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 the uh, the the podcast here. I don't like Ford's first generation uh, because it was just so, it's got a 68 kilowatt hour battery pack to transit. Even that's yeah. hard to say. That I it, even I have a hard a difficult time making much of a use case for that. I'm sure there is, but but for a very limited number of businesses because you're talking about 
with cargo in the winter, being comfortable letting that go 40 or 50 miles, you know, so, uh, you know, you're, you're talking 20 miles from your depot. But uh, in a lot of ways, these electric delivery vans make more sense than passenger vehicles that we're buying and driving uh, as, as EVs. Because on any given day, any of us can say, hey, I want to go here or there or, you know, on the weekend, let's let's go. That doesn't happen with these fleet vans. They have a specific use. They have routes, you know, and maybe their cargo changes a little bit from day to day, but very predictable. And you, you can size your the size battery you need to the vehicle. You're, that's what I'd rather. Instead of ha- having these adjustable DC fast charge rates, you know, Dodge should have a, a, a 100 kilowatt hour battery, a 150 kilowatt hour battery, and a 200 kilowatt hour battery option. That's what they should offer, not DC fast charging rates, which is virtually useless in my opinion. Right. Yeah, yeah I need- agree on that. I've just been uh, configuring the Fiat uh e ducato uh which we've had for a couple of years here and uh, they call it mode four dc rapid charger 50 kilowatt that's two thousand three hundred pounds optional extra otherwise it comes with ac 11 kilowatt ac standard Mm -hmm. which i kind of understand as tom has just said these charge overnight on ac which is fine so i i wouldn't be surprised if fleets even don't spec that yeah Um, so, you know, when these get defleeted and they go through, you know, the auction or lease clearance and stuff, then that's going to be fun. You realize you bought a van, you can't DC fast charge anyway. But um, but yeah, this is it's I, I just realized I'm going to add DC charging. We haven't. So the Fiat Ducato doesn't go for the whole 85 kilowatt, blah, blah, blah. It's 50 or nothing. Right. right. It's, 70, it's 75,000 pounds. Wow. Uh, we, don't, we don't we don't have pricing in the, in the US. So no, that, that could be a. a you know, a guide for what we get here, maybe. You've really got to be making up some running costs. Like on 60 that. to 65,000, you think it would translate to in, over here? That's oh, more, isn't it? Because, mm. uh, oh, like, oh, oh it's the other way, way around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> right. So the, the pound is more powerful than the dollar. Still. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know uh, you're scared so... to kill it, but, you know, it's, it's still. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing our best. Uh, so, what is that? So, well, it's 75,000 pounds, it's $95,000. So I, I have a feeling that so I have a feeling this will be maybe more into eighty five, which is kind of a lot of money. Yeah, but, but you you can't look at that. You can't look right. at the initial cost. You uh, have I know, to look I know, at TCO. I know. I know. These, I know. These managers rubbing nickels together to, to mm-hmm. they'll do they'll they'll run the numbers and they'll see in five years they they're way above water. Maybe in three years depends how many miles they drive. I, I went to an event when the um, Ford was launching the e-transit and uh, it actually sort of like snuck into it because it was for fleet um, purchasers. Um, and, I, and I found the registration link. So I went, even though I wasn't supposed to be there, but it was really interesting hearing the, the, the fleet purchasers in their perspective on like total cost of ownership. Because like me, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I buy an EV and I'll have to pay for an oil change. For them, they're like, if we have an EV, not only do I not pay for the oil change, but I don't have to have like my electrician or plumber or whatever, like drive it to the the, the, the facility to go get the oil change. Or um, even if they can do it in-house, they're not like down a vehicle because it's like you're going to do that during business hours. And now your your fleet vehicle is not earning money because it's the oil is being changed. So for their total cost of ownership, they're like, this gives us more time on the road. Um, and, you know, going back to the whole thing of like 
they know exactly how many miles they know exactly what they need from an EV versus me. It's like, yeah, I, I only drive 20 miles a day, but once a year I'm going to go to Vegas. So I need a, a 300 mile range uh, EV because it's right. 300 miles to Vegas. Right. Rent, rent people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those fleet things, cause you save a lot of money. Like on, uh, I think the, the one of the big ones for me is, uh, is brakes and rotors. Cause I, I used to, you know, work at a, at a parts place. And that was one of the big things we had the city bus contracts and they have to, you know, those, they, they spent a lot of money keeping those brakes and rotors, uh, you know, fresh and in, in proper running condition for, for the, for public buses. Absolutely. Oil changes, you know, it's mm-hmm. that all adds up besides the fueling, you know, it's, it's, it's it, the, the vehicle can be 33, 40% more than a, than a, a comparable ice, van and in a couple of years they're that they're above water and then they're just making money so you know these delivery vans buses things like that are are just such perfect perfect use cases for for electric and especially like the delivery ones that are gas they're like every time they stop a lot of them they just leave it idling of course yeah yeah and it's it's like all of a sudden now it's like you're you're more looking about the hours on the engine versus how many miles but with the EV, it doesn't matter. You're like, you're not idling an EV. So, um, yeah, that's one of the things that when the uh, we talked to the New York uh, Police Department as they were getting some uh, of the Mach-E's in their fleet. And they were talking about that as like they their cars don't do that many miles. So they weren't worried about the range. They were just like excited that it's like while they were sitting in their car, like filling out a report, the engine wasn't just idling, doing nothing um, and just accumulating miles for the next mm-hmm. oil. Um, they have to leave them running police like they're yeah. required to. They're not allowed to turn them yeah. off, even when they like go to a convenience store. You ever notice they leave them running outside the store? Um, and, and I asked, uh, uh, I have a lot of friends that are officers, and I asked them, one, well, why do you guys always like, are you afraid someone's going to hop in it and steal it? You know, it's it's running and, and, and unlocked in front of the, you know, 7-Eleven or whatever. And like we, we're not allowed to turn them off because if we're in there and we get a call, to respond and we run out and it won't start like the battery died or something like someone could die so we 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 have to we we i start my shift i turn my car on it does not shut off until my eight hour shift is over so yeah with evs think of how much they're saving on fuel and pollution and everything and also the start stop nature of deliveries does does, does the words milk float translate to the u.s no Okay. I've heard it. I know what you were talking about because milk it was all in the whole e- electric vehicle community. So that's right. What, so this yeah. is this is like the the insult to electric vehicles, <laughs> like oh they're glorified milk floats. So this was a very very common thing for me growing up. Uh, it was part of British culture. Uh, they'd always be on TV. I remember growing up in the seventies and eighties, uh, and milk floats were just always around. We always had milk delivered to our doorstep, and then they started adding like butter and bread and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and I guess it replaced the horse and cart. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, people used to come to your doorstep with a, a you know a horse drawn um, thing and and drop off supplies and milk, and also that uh, they'd come and take away uh, take away what you've done in a bucket over the last week, I suppose, as well on a different horse and cart. But anyway, um, but yeah, and then it, and then it went, um, yeah, it went, it went electric and, and like this, this is a milk float and it's very much part of our culture is that your milk always arrived in a glass bottle on your doorstep in this. And this was, uh, does, does the article say, I, I, I think of it as a seventies thing, but, uh, uh, does it say when, 
I'm not uh, sure when they stopped doing it over here. I know they had this in the U.S. too, right, Tom? August August 67, I well, guess. Milk float? No. Well, well, I mean, just milk, home deliveries of milk. Oh, of course. And I mean, there were, of course, and, and, you know, my mother even told told me she remember in Jersey City, there used to be like a, a – and they had cars at that point, but it was still, I guess, more uh, uh, efficient or less expensive. There was like a milk-drawn wagon that used to go up and down – downtown jersey city delivering milk so and yeah these, could... these were always electric they have always been there was you they, they were never combustion powered they were always because they were always so quiet i remember growing up and you'd always hear the clinking of the milk bottles in the you'll see the little crates that they get carried in you get the mm -hmm. empties put back in there you'd always hear the bottles clinking against you the over the sound of the electric motor we grew up with electric vehicles like i remember my window being open and waking up and hearing the milk arriving and like that was just the thing that there, there are no new ideas is what i'm trying to say like start stop because it would just go forward six feet ten feet and then go to the next house and it's like we we got that in the 60s like let's create a vehicle that can go start stop start stop and then 50 years later amazon bring your parcels the next day and they're like God, if only we could have an electric vehicle. One day, one day, we'll get away from combustion and we'll have EVs for this. And you're like, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, there's no new ideas, are there? So we, we we nailed this 50 years ago and we've kind of gone backwards. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, there, well it'll, it'll be reflooding the roads. You know, it'll, it'll be happening. The electrification <laughs> of uh, commercial vehicles. It's, it's, a, it's I think it's, it's a, well, it's a big thing. It's happening. Uh, before we go, we still have a few minutes left. Um, as I want to hit this for you, Tom, uh, as our regular listeners know, Kyle got to spend a few days with the Tesla Cybertruck and really check it out and do some initial testing over the past week or so. So, Tom, you decided to have Kyle on the State of Charge channel to get his take on the Cybertruck, a vehicle that you have or maybe had a pre-order for. Now, the title of the video seems to suggest that Kyle, who I know really wants to get a Cybertruck after all of this, is a dud. So how do you square that triangle, so to speak? So, you know, um, was it a little clickbaity of a title? Yeah, it was. I, I, I admit that, you know, and it, it maybe it turns some people off. But every now and then I like to experiment with different um, tiles. And me and Kyle had a laugh about that. Um, we talked about it. You know, he 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 actually chuckled, you know, he, and he made a, a tweet also like, ah, I don't really love that title, but, uh, you know, uh, he's he's OK with it. Um, but if you watch the video, uh, at the end of the video, towards the end of the video, I, I flat out ask him, do you think, it, you know, in the context of what Tesla promised, um, do you think that it's Tesla's first dud? And Kyle said, yeah, it is. So it's not like he didn't say that, you know, but for me to lead with that on the title was, you know, it was a little clickbaity. I admit it. It seemed to work because it, the, the, the video is doing really well. But, um, you know, if we want to talk about Dud, that's really, you know, he talked a lot about, we talked about towing, charging, all a lot of the different uh, payload and all that stuff. It was, I think it went really well. The comments actually are really well on, on the video. I thought it was going to get more hate based on, you know, we say it's a, a dud. Um, right. And there were definitely some some haters out there for sure, um, which, you know, we always get them. But, it, you know, I think people were looking at that and just without the context and being like, oh, my God, like he thinks it's a total dud. Like, no, it, we didn't say it was a total dud. Was it Tesla's the first time Tesla didn't deliver? what they promised. 
you know, four years ago, it was going to have 500 miles range. It was going to tow mm. um, 14,000 pounds. It was going to have 3,500 pound payload capacity. It was, you know, had these new 4680 cells that were, you know, the greatest things in the world that were going to charge faster and be all this. When it comes to market two years later, now we can't bl blame the whole two years on Tesla because we right. had some crazy crap happen in the world. Um, but it, two years late and it didn't hit any of the specs that they promised. None of them. So, yeah. you know, the glass isn't bulletproof, you know, right. so it can still it, we can still say that it's Tesla's first dud, but that it's still a cool vehicle that I want to own. Right. You know, at least I know I can say that some people can't divorce the two things and say, well, if you say it's a dud, you must hate it and you want nothing to do with it. I don't live in that black and white world. I can say, yeah, this coming to market based on what we were promised, it's a dud, but it's still freaking cool. Mm. And I'd love to drive one. Um, but, um, you know, as far as my personal reservation, I did get the email. I could configure it and get it. It said by January or February or no, February or March. Um, okay. But I, I have declined and I'm not getting one now. Oh. So um, I'm, I, I turned it down and uh, not, I've decided really based on uh, what I've seen so far, um, it looks cool. Do I want to drive one? Yeah. Uh, will I rent one and do some charge recordings and some range tests and stuff? Absolutely. Uh, do I want that over my lightning? No, I don't. So, Man. right. Uh, Patrick, you have any, any cyber truck thoughts? <laughs> it's it's funny because uh when we were in vegas i was talking to kyle and he had just come in from austin and doing all of his videos right and i was like you know as i was watching your videos it sort of reminds me of the rz450e because it's like a little bit controversial looks rides drives well but charging and range aren't great and, uh, right. and he's like yeah that's sort of exactly it but i still want one but uh yeah it's i i think it's uh it is interesting because it's like the range is disappointing compared to what Tesla said and promised. But when you're looking at like it's 123, 124 kilowatt hour battery for a vehicle that size, that weight, whatever. It's like it's not like hugely bad or anything. It's just sort of like when you're saying 500 and you get 254, it's, it sounds really bad on that level but right. like the specs aren't horrible and and it's sort of like what i somewhat expected just based on like physics um i know the 4680s just aren't charging as well and i think they're going to make some improvements in that and i hope they do um but yeah it's 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 really interesting it's uh i i wouldn't call it a dud per se unless you're just going based off of the november 2019 announcement to what was released and that that was the thing, uh, Patrick, not necessarily saying, look at this vehicle. It's a dud. OK, it was Tesla's dud it, it is, is, is. And that's how I framed it in the in the video saying, look, is this the first time Tesla said, you know, Elon stood on stage and said, this is going to do this, 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 this comes to market. None of it is correct. That's a dud to me. Now, now th the vehicle can still be a great vehicle, and it still might be as good as the other vehicles that are competing against it. You know, in, in some ways, it's better than the Lightning. It's better than the Rivian, for sure. I'm not saying like, oh, my God, this thing's garbage. Nobody's going to want it. That I, was, I, I, was, I framed it in the context of, is this the first time Tesla really 
did not deliver what they said they were going to deliver. That and in that, if you look at it through that context, I don't know how you could not say it's a disappointment or a dud. And and I think uh, if we recall the um, delivery event, I think a lot of Tesla owners felt the same way. Like their gut reaction. Yeah. Uh, we know people that were there, and I think Kyle even talked about it, it was like everybody was like depressed almost at the delivery event when they actually got more information about it. And I was like, that's strange because I was watching and I was like, cool. You know, it was it was like, you know, it, it looks just as cool as day one. This the stats weren't, you know, those day one stats. So I was like, it's it's a it's a good competitive product and didn't see any major issues with it. And I think a lot of the Tesla fans considered it a dud on the initial um, delivery event based off of those specs. Yeah. And here's right. here's a question that I had to Kyle also. Who it who what is the Cybertruck? Okay, we know the Lightning is like an electric pickup truck that can be used for work. Now it can't do long distance towing. We know that none of the electric pickup trucks are going to be good at towing a thousand, you know, ten thousand pounds for a thousand miles. Period. That's you know that we're, we're years from that being really easily accomplished. Could it? Could you do it? You could do it. But you know the 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 Lightning is kind of like. The, the workman's truck, okay? It's got a lot of things that's great for business. It's got that huge frunk, which is awesome for your power tools. It's got 11 outlets, you know, pro power on board. It's got a lot of, of things that's for work truck. The Rivian R1T is your electric adventure vehicle, okay? Mm -hmm. the, I don't think anybody's going to argue that the, the Cybertruck is a better adventure vehicle than the Rivian. Okay, so now, so where does it fall? Is it just like that shiny thing for YouTube influencers and people that just want to say, hey, look at me, you know, look at this crazy freaking Mars mobile that I'm driving, you know, as they roll down the street. But what does it do better than the other vehicles? What, what you know, who buys this other than the look? Like, let's say it didn't look like it looked. Let's say you took all the Cybertruck features and put it on the Lightning. Which, which one would you buy? The lightning lightning or the cyber lightning, you know, and, and that's what that's what I'm struggling with. Is it just the Tesla faithful that, you know, just they want a Tesla, you know, and, right. and now that these other vehicles are going to have access to Tesla superchargers, you can't say, well, I want that because it's the only one that I can go on road trips with because the other ones I can't use these crappy networks. So that that was that 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 was all in the context of me saying, you know, is it a dud? What does it do better than the other vehicles? Yeah, I guess you could shoot it with a nine millimeter and survive that. But, you know, that, that only happened a couple times to me in my life where I got, you know, people try to shoot me with a nine millimeter. Uh, but, you know, so like, what is it? And, I, and I'm not being a hater here. I'm, I'm more defending my video than hating on it because I still love it and think it's so cool. Um, I'm just not cool enough to buy. I thought your video was very well qualified in the, the definition of a dud. When Kyle at the end said, you know, is it a dud? It was, well, based on what we were told, yes, it's a dud. And that's just entirely Tesla's fault for leading us up the garden path with what they said they would do, which kind of worked three years ago, didn't it? You know, it kind of, you know, SpaceX saying, oh, we're going to go to Mars in 2026. It's going to be, uh, you know, a million, what is it, a million robo-taxis on the road in 2020. They're going to drive themselves across the country. You could be in New York in your car. You'll summon it in your car. All of that, you know, Elon Musk saying, oh, he's going to sort out, you know, water problems, and, and then he's going to do this and that. And then, and because none of it happened uh, back in the day, he got a pass. Uh, and then things like the Roadster and the, and the, the you know, the, the, 
the ferocity of the Tesla fan base at times is that you know, they deservedly have a huge fan base, um, just sort of lapped it all up. And what's interesting is in a kind of a, a 2024 world where we're all just older and jaded now, um, you know, when he when he comes out and buys Twitter and says, you know, we're not reinstating a, a, a single uh, account on the hair without uh, we're going to establish a, um, a, a a board uh, of people to look at these accounts we've banned. And then the next minute, Alex Jones is back on. He's his best buddy. And 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 then more recently, they canceled a bunch of accounts from journalists that Elon Musk didn't like, the Mr. Free Speech Absolutist. So I think we're also tired of the nonsense now from Tesla that even someone as impartial as uh jason from engineering explained like the the world's greatest youtuber in my jason opinion is like, great. He's uh, great. It, it, he his videos over the last whatever it is like 10 years have just changed what youtube could do and educate people and all sorts like it, he's got like two million views on his video this week when yeah. all he did was point out all he did was point out was elon musk stood on stage and twice, if you rewatch that Cybertruck event, twice said it's faster over a quarter mile than a 911, and we're towing a 911. And all Jason proved using the screenshots was they didn't do it. They they ran an eighth of a mile, and and and, and they probably wouldn't do it. And they probably couldn't and, do it. Interesting. One of the engineers did reply to him on social media. I imagine that uh, whether it's been deleted yet or not, I don't know. Very rare for anyone else to be allowed to to publicly said. Yeah, we didn't do the quarter mile, but our calculations say that it probably would have done. And what wasn't called out years ago, people now call out this BS when they see it. And that has unfortunately ruined all the good stuff about the Cybertruck. Like the Cybertruck is actually really, really interesting and a really good vehicle. But uh, the whole kind of we send every CEO of a car company how to build a 48 volt vehicle. And you like if you know anything about cars and you've seen 48 volt mild hybrids around forever, like 48 volts in a vehicle is not that big a deal. Actually, the ether loop stuff they talked about is really interesting. Yeah. Actually, the, the vehicle to home stuff they talked about is really interesting because yeah. there's nobody, not many people getting it right. And if Tesla turn their attention to V2G and V2H, they'd nail it and change the world. But they didn't. They're like, yeah, we've said every car company how to do 48 volt systems. 48 volts not a big deal. I mean, the cabling's different. You can save some money. Uh, it, it's some weight savings. But but really, like Ford, we're talking about this in in. I don't know. Ford were doing a 36 volt analysis back in the 90s, and like the, the automotive industry has talked about, do we move on from 12 volt? forever and they've yeah. kind of gone no no we'll stay with 12 volt like it just it just kind of works there's some benefits no one's denying there are benefits but it's not like he thought of the idea like he no. told people he thought of hyperloop and the idea of you know that's been around since about 1912 and so what is interesting is i think they are sabotaging themselves at the moment we saw it this week as well with tesla when he said i want 25 percent of the company again like and all these tesla fans who are investors who previously he could do no wrong with them were coming out and being like why am i diluting my shareholding in the company you sold your shareholding to buy a social media company and now you're saying you want 25 percent again that hurts me and that these are like the real pro huge like the protesta youtubers they would never have done that three years ago no. and, I, and it annoys me that tesla are sabotaging not sabotaging but 
are just reading the room all wrong. And for that reason, the Cybertruck is a dud because it didn't fulfill any of the promises we said, and they didn't promote any of the really good stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And they just need, I don't know, uh, they, they, they need to do more of what they did before, which is when Elon gets his time, then they have all the engineers on stage, on stools, and they give those people the spotlight. That's when Tesla's at its best because they do amazing things. Mm-hmm. But that whole, you know, throwing a tennis ball at the window and that, that was not, Cybertruck's not been good so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's not been the, good. It's not been good so far. What the was future that has to... thing too? Like that, I didn't get that. Was that just like them making fun of themselves, I guess? Because at, at the launch well, no event, they threw a baseball against the window, which obviously, I you could throw that against any car. Any window, like, yeah, yeah. You know, so like I, I think they were making fun of themselves, but they didn't do it the right way. Like you know, it, you know, it was kind of like, what are they doing there? You know? Yeah, yeah. So he, at, at some point, he becomes a liability to the people that have got their their retirements in one company. Um, but would you get rid of him? No, because he's created, he has that hype machine has created so much value and so many great products. I know. I, I think like no, no one talks about the Model Y being the best selling car. Oh, you know, everywhere, beating right. not just best thing to be, the best selling car in so many markets in the world. Like that, yeah, that just gets brushed over. And now we're talking about, well, they lied at the cyber, like just blatantly lied at the Cybertruck event. And it's like, this is all wrong. We should be praising Tesla for so much other stuff here. So it is a dud on that on top on the basis to defend Tom's video and he qualified it what we were promised no it was all lies it's a dud I think we have to wait to see how it does in like in, in over the next year like with with just how, with sales basically It's well, not going to be a sales dud I I, I didn't make oh, that no way no I mean that's really buy. I mean for for like the for like the Tesla board and and Tesla uh shareholders I mean, that's really what they're looking at. You know, will it sell? They don't, don't, yeah. they don't necessarily care if it, you know, meets all but, whatever marks, as long as, you know, even if it's just depend on its outrageous looks to, you know, the move, move metal, so to speak. I, I agree, Don, but even Kyle asked this question. Initially, they're going to sell the hell out of it. People yeah. want it because it's crazy and it's, 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 wow, look at this freaking crazy thing. Like, and it does look cool. I mean, who doesn't want to drive that? You know, Mm -hmm. like it really looks like a Mars rover, you know, like something that should be on the moon, not on the earth. Um, But once they're out there, once they're all over the place, you know, like when I first got my Rivian, it was so cool because I was the only one here that had one. Now there's like 10 of them in my town. It's like, you know, and it's nice to be to have something that's very unique that other people don't have. But now that it's totally like eh, I have a Rivian, like everybody has a Rivian here. What about when there are cyber trucks all over the place? Right. What does it have to stand on sales wise when it's not this crazy, unique thing that everyone wants to get their hand on? You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. the the, mm-hmm. the Model Y continues to sell fantastic because it's a great, like affordable electric family mover. It's got mm-hmm. a ton of volume on the inside. It charges well. You know, it's, it performs well. Um, it, it has a niche that it's it's doing better than the other vehicles in that segment. But other than being this ridiculously cool looking thing, I don't see it doing being a better vehicle than these other vehicles. And if Ford does deliver, I know it's a big if, in 2025, we're, we're two years away from that, less than two years probably for the T3. Silverado EV is just launching now, much more range. 
mm-hmm. you know, than that. Ram chargers coming Ram out. Rev. Mm-hmm. Ram rev. Um, um, so you can have, well, isn't it the Ram charger with the, with the, isn't the Ram rev just the, the all electric one and then Ram chargers, the one with the hybrid, I, I forget. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. So, so now, you know, you, you've got the, the, the Ram charger that can do things that none of the other pickup trucks can do work-wise as far mm-hmm. as, you know, towing and long distance and everything. You've got the, the Silverado EV that's got the, the really cool mid gate. It's got, you know, vehicle to home stuff. It's got a 400 plus 450 mile range. I look at the, the cyber truck and the only thing it has is this really cool, weird look. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's it. it. A good so that's stereo. What I'm Beyond the initial cr- crush to get these, how does it stand on its own after that? That right. was and, my my question. And then if you're talking about like being a sales dud, it's like which which metric are you going to use? Because like if you if you tell me like they're going to sell a hundred thousand cyber trucks next year, I'd be like, oh my god, that's amazing that they hit a hundred thousand next mm-hmm. year. They could sell them if they can make them. Yeah, yeah, and I I think so. I think I agree. Um, but then, if you also like, if you go back to like what some of the um, that the hype enthusiasts were saying, like there's four million estimated Cybertruck orders. Well, then if you compare it to that metric stick, you're going to be like, well, they only sold a hundred thousand, which is as many as they could make. I think it's going to be a, a success. Um, and and in in fact, um, you know, I think it is going to. Um, be sort of a niche type like it's not going to be the person that wants like the lightning the frunk and the like work utility it's not going to be necessarily the venture it's going to be like the cool truck um and to be honest i like i think it could actually help out the lightning and the rivian and the silverado because when you know it's it's one thing to be like i want the cool truck because it looks cool i've never seen anything Mm -hmm. like it and it's bulletproof but then when you're like all right now i need to go make a you know a a thousand dollar monthly payment on something you start you know it's like the cool factor is great when you're like you know making a hundred dollar decision but the you know when you're when you're spending your money and you got to get stuff done you may go like well now let me look at this Cybertruck. you know it doesn't do exactly what i want to do look at this silverado and that actually suits my needs better and it's cheaper or whatever you know so I think those type of factors are going to come in. I think it's going to, you know, as Tom said, as everybody's been saying, it's like I think they'll sell everyone that they make for the next few years at least. Um, and uh, I, I can't wait to see the like I want to see them saturate the market here in Southern California because I think there's going to be a lot of people buying those. We're not as much of a, a, a truck company or truck country as like where I grew up in North Carolina where everybody had a pickup truck. But I think there's going to be a lot more being sold out here, so it, it's going to be fun to see. Yeah, I think didn't didn't um, wasn't there an article about one of the early owners making some YouTube videos? He's paying four hundred and fifty a month insurance, and he did like one hundred and sixty-two miles. Dom, you had the the range. You you sent it this morning on our group chat. Oh, uh, uh, Inside EVs has an article just today. There were two owners that talking about their vehicles getting between like one hundred and sixty-four to two hundred six miles of two hundred six miles of range, but that's only up to eighty percent, I believe. Still, well, that's well, what, well, the, the one owner posted. He has ten thousand miles on it. Could you believe a Cybertruck has ten thousand miles on it? That's a lot of miles. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's like a year's well. worth of so, driving and, almost. And he's averaging <laughs> five hundred ninety-nine watt hour per mile. Right. Okay. So, so that's I mean, like one. That's like one point six mile per kilowatt hour. So um, I, I'm going to defend that a little bit because it's not that bad. And I'll tell you why. You know, it's it's the winter now. I don't know where this person lives, 
I'm assuming mm -hmm. it's in a cold weather area. It's got these big tires on it. So when I put my um, KO2s on my Lightning, the BF Goodrich KO2s, I took a, a efficiency hit. I'm averaging now. It's very cold here now, and uh, and I drive my vehicles pretty hard. I don't, uh, you know, I I do launches from you know traffic lights and stuff. I mean, not crazy break the speed limit launches, right. but I don't accelerate slowly. I have a heavy right foot, and um, I'm averaging now 1.7 miles okay. per kilowatt hour since like mid December with okay. the KO2s on it, which is like 575 watt hour per mile. So, um, you know, I know you look at that and say, oh, my God, like, like th that's terrible. Hey, Kyle's here. So um, <laughs> you look at that and you say, oh, my God, that's terrible. It's really not that bad. If this person's driving in cold weather, I'm sure the vehicle's new. So they're, you know, they're probably juicing it a bit, um, you know, off, off the line and everything. Um, that's not terrible. I'll defend it there because I know when you first start, you were like, oh, that's not good. Um, but it's really not that bad in the winter with those 35 inch tires on 600 watt hour per mile is, is what I would expect. Right. Right. And I hadn't read the 80% part. That's like deeper into the article. Like the headline is like the yeah. big range numbers that are kind of like ridiculously yeah. low. And so, yeah, you get to get, get into the article to get the context. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm just talking about overall efficiency. Um, right. that's mm -hmm. 1.6. In the That's winter, with the 35-inch crazy off-road tires, isn't terrible. Right, it's not terrible. That's fine. It's it's like like everything else, basically. Yeah. It's in it's well within right. that spec. But we were expecting it to be better. See, that's part of yeah. the dud. Right, right, right. You right. know, because right. when Tesla brings cars to market, they were always better than the competing vehicles in like most metrics. And yeah. the Cybertruck isn't. It's it kind of fits right in there range wise efficiency wise towing wise payload wise with the other electric trucks and this is the most expensive fully loaded version that is on the market i mean ten thousand miles is pretty good going for anyone who's had their cyber truck they've driven just they've driven non-stop since they took delivery I they love might it. drive more than kyle these people <laughs> yeah i mean they've just they we, haven't we found the one they, they yeah. truck and they've just they haven't really gotten out of it you know uh we found the one yeah like sound system that's a that's pretty common yeah. Uh, the uh, the steer by wire. I've Hand seen line. some um, uh, some shorts or some videos or some Instagrams uh, from people using that, and it looks like I think that's I think it's a ZF system. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think heard that's that. What, I heard that. Mm -hmm. They bought that in from ZF. ZF know what they're doing. Um, or or maybe it was sort of yeah. Obviously co-developed. Obviously the implementation is a Tesla implementation um, of of how it all how it all works with the vehicle. But you know they've got. Uh, they've got that seemingly sorted. It looks pretty good. People doing different speeds and showing the various angles they're doing it. It looks like it's very well honed already for a first attempt. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they say uh, dislikes the charge time, which is fair enough. The range mm -hmm. is fair enough. Everyone's mm -hmm. saying that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And and again, that's interesting. The attention that the truck gets. Now you would uh. think that somebody who spent their own money on a cyber truck wants the because this is why I'd never buy one because I don't. Well, I don't wanna, I don't want to be looked at. So um, you think they that, that's an odd dislike for someone who's just bought a Cybertruck. You think that they would want to be looked at. So that's a weird dislike. Yeah. Uh, but you are going to be stared at and you are going to have people talk to you all the time if you buy one. Pretty much for, for at least the first six months or so. Then we'll see if once the more get on the road, if it comes, if it becomes normalized a little bit somewhat. Yeah. 
Right. But I think that brings us to the end of our show. I don't know. Um, Liv already left, so. You know. <laughs> she's on a doctor's appointment that she has. Oh, scheduled. I thought no, she's like, I'm just getting yeah. rid of these losers. She's <laughs> like, that's it. I'm sure she has like important things to do, which is great. We love Liv. Um, yeah. So if you have any questions or comments, please leave them below or get in touch with us with us on the social media platform of your choice. Don't forget, if you like the show, uh, please give us a thumbs up, click subscribe, tap that bell icon for notifications. Mm -hmm. Thank you all very much for joining us again, and we'll see you all again very soon. Ciao.